Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Matthew and go back a few pages, you'll have it. <coughs> Malachi chapter 2. As we continue in this book, started a couple weeks ago. Chapter two. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It says, Now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as if you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in my law. Have we not all one father? Hath not God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved hath married the daughter of a strange god. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. This have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, Yet is she thy companion, the wife of thy covenant. Did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. The Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth put it away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, Wherein have we wearied him? When you say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, Where is the God of judgment? I title this tonight, Worship in Duplicity. Worship in Duplicity. The word duplicity means deceitfulness in speech or conduct, as by speaking or acting in two different ways to different people concerning the same matter. Double dealing. That's dictionary.com. Uh, so it's, it's basically saying one thing and doing another, or being two different people at two different times. That's the, uh, kind of the idea. And here you have the children of Israel 
worshiping, trying to worship God in duplicity. Um, and we see, first of all, it begins in the heart. If you notice in verse 2, he said, and of course he's speaking here to the priests. This, this began with the priests. And now you priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will send, even send a curse upon you, and will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. This, this worship in duplicity begins in the heart. To lay it to heart, the idea is there to set or place or point to the mind, to the understanding, to the inner man. It's to set it in your heart. Uh, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. He set it, he appointed it into his heart that he was not going to defile himself. So he says they do not lay it to heart. To give glory unto my name. Notice also in verse 2. He says they don't lay the heart to give glory unto my name. Again the idea to give glory unto my name. Go to Psalm 4. And, and I think it will help explain that. Psalm 4 and verse 4. Or verses 1 through. Well let's read the entire chapter. Psalm 4. <clears throat> and understand the context in which Psalm 4 is written. Commentators believe that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 were written when David was fleeing from Absalom. So it was a very troublesome circumstances. Uh, he's being driven from, from Jerusalem. Uh, he's, you know, he, his son is trying to take his kingdom. Uh, his own friend, his familiar friend Ahithophel, has betrayed him. Um, so there's, there's a lot against him. So it's a, it's a difficult circumstance he finds himself in as he's fleeing from Absalom. Notice what he says here. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. So he's in difficult circumstances. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. Now the word, the word leasing there means a lie. How long, how long are you going to seek a lie? But know the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. There's, we see the word heart there again. So set it in your heart. He says stand in awe. In other words, fear God. Fear God. Even in your difficult circumstances, fear God. Give reverence to God. Honor God. God first. Trust in God. As we're going to see here. And sin not. Uh, verse, verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up thy light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. So even in the, in the midst of the circumstances David's in, he's in a difficult, he's, he's let it, set it in his heart that he's going to give glory to God, he's going to trust God no matter what the outcome is, no matter what his circumstances, he's going to trust the Lord to see him through, and he says, I'll lay me down in sleep in peace, because... The Lord is the one that makes me dwell safely. 
is he is my trust. He is my shield and block, buckler. You know, and, and so, you know, again, if you understand the context of Malachi, you know, the situation in Israel is not good. It's difficult. They're being tried. You know, they're back in the land, but they're still under Gentile rule. But they could please the Lord. Sacrifices shows a lack of reverence and trust in God. And here in chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6, it says, My covenant, and he's talking particularly here to the priests in this context, My covenant was with him of life and peace. Some talk about Levi. And I gave them to him for the fear with he feared me and was afraid before my name. And, and the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity is not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many from iniquity. So, so he speaks about Levi. He says here, you know, my covenant was with him. I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he, was, he feared me and was afraid before my face. And you know, the reference, I don't think, the son of Jacob, Levi. But it's to the Levites. And I believe in particular, making reference to here, who he's making reference to is Phineas. Phineas was the one. Yeah, Phineas was the one that took the javelin. And when the when the one of the one of the Israelites men brought a Moabitish woman into the camp and took her right into the tent. Phineas took a javelin and went into the tent and struck them through with it. And the Bible says the plague was stayed. And, and God said, I will honor him uh, because he was zealous for the Lord's sake. So uh, it showed, you know, their, their lack of sacrifices showed a lack of reverence or trust. They were more concerned about, they were more concerned about the favor of the people than they were the Lord. You know, in times of difficult crisis, friends forsake as David experienced, uh, and many times we don't understand, we are to trust the Lord and obey Him and let Him direct and provide. We may not know how, we may not be able to see how it's going to come out, but we are to trust the Lord. We are to live by faith. You know, this was difference between David and Saul. Saul would justify himself in his compromise. You know, Saul, remember, remember uh, uh, Saul, or, or, um, Samuel told Saul to go to Gilgal and wait for him seven days before he went to battle. He said, and I will come and offer the sacrifice. Well, he tarried seven days and Samuel hadn't showed up yet. So on the seventh day, Saul intrudes into the priest's office and offers the sacrifice himself. And immediately, guess who shows up? Samuel. I mean, the seventh day wasn't over. But because he feared, the enemy was drawing near, and he was afraid. He was, in other words, he was afraid of man. He had more fear of the enemy than he had of God. And so out of disobedience, he intruded into the priest's office. And instead of admitting his sin, what did he do? He justified it. Um. Or James chapter 4. <clears throat> so that we see this duplicity. It begins in the heart. And James describes it. His conclusion is it's a double-minded man. James 1. Did I say 4? James 1. James, a servant of God and the 
of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So you're, this is a this is a trying circumstance. We don't know what the temptations or the trials were here, but uh, this was the time the Jews were being persecuted, and these were Jewish brethren, uh, and Christians were being persecuted more than so than just being a Jew. But knowing this, verse 3, that's trying your faith, worketh patience. Let patience have a perfect work, and you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man in all his ways. So, so this duplicity begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. But number two, it will corrupt your use of the word of God. Verse 4 says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. <coughs> Excuse me. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity is not found in his lips. He walked with me in the peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you content and base before all the people, according to that you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in my law. So again, as we think about the Levites here, we believe, I believe it's, it's a reference, most commonly it's a reference to, to Phineas, the son of Aaron, who turned away the wrath of the Lord from the children of Israel when he was jealous for the Lord in slaying that uh, Moabite woman and that man who brought her into the tent. But And so he said, you know, Levi, the sons of Levi, you know, they, were, they, they had the law of truth in their mouth. Iniquity was not found in them. I mean, they were afraid before my name. They feared my name more than anything else. More than anyone else. They feared my name. Said ye are partial in the law. You're partial. The word partial means they're biased. Or prejudiced, incomplete. In other words, they feared and favored the people over the word of God. We we saw that in chapter one. They were more concerned about their popularity than they were in obedience to the word of God. In chapter one, verse nine, it says, "And now I pray you, beseech God that He will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means." In other words, you priests are the guilty ones in this. These people are bringing corrupt sacrifices and you're the guilty ones because you should be turning them away. You should not accept it. It's your responsibility to, to, to reject a corrupt sacrifice. But they weren't. They said, this is by your means. Will you God your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire in mine altar for naught. So what were they in it for? To fatten their hip pocket, you know. Uh, so, so they feared the people more. They were more concerned about popularity than obedience. Kind of reminds me of Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter four, 
in uh, Paul speaking about the last days, writing to young Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, he says, I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears in the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so he tells Timothy, you know, there's going to come a day when they're going to want their ears tickled, but he said, you watch thou in all things. You make full proof of your ministry. You preach the word, all of it. You know, God told Jeremiah to preach the word, whether they would hear or whether they forbear. And he told them, they're not going to listen to you. That was real encouraging, I know. But he said, they're not going to listen to you. They're hard, they're hard of hearing. I was talking to an acquaintance. In those places. The Bible says not to, women's not to teach or usurp authority over man. I said, there's no place, military is no place for women. And he said, this is what he said. I agree. But I can't say that in my circles. That's why I'm not in his circle. But anyway, uh, just one reason. But I can't say that in my circles. See, what's the problem? They're afraid of what people are going to say. They wouldn't be so popular. You know, if these famous preachers come out against sin like the Bible describes it, they wouldn't be so popular. They wouldn't be so popular. So they were partial. So like pick and choose what they want, I guess. They also caused contempt for the God-ordained covenant of marriage by their partiality. Notice chapter 2, verse 10. It says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now notice, once you notice this word treacherously is, is, is mentioned five times in these verses. Judah hath dealt us treacherously. And an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth the offering unto the Lord of hosts. This have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good at your will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Did not he make one, yet he had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. So again, he, five times he says, treacherously. So they caused contempt for God-ordained marriage. Uh, 
and for you know for whatever reason, for favor or advantage with the Gentiles. Remember, they're under Gentile rule. This is not new, by the way. In Nehemiah's day and in Ezra's day, they had they dealt with the same thing. In fact, Nehemiah said there was children that spoke half in the Jews' language and half of the language of the of the Gentiles around him, and he and he, and he plucked out their hair. Preacher did that day, boy, he'd really be a bad guy. But you know that he plucked out their hair and he chased them from him. Even the priests were guilty in this in, in Nehemiah's day. So for favor or advantage with the Gentiles around them, they began to intermarry and put away the wives of their youth, their Jewish wives. We we know from uh, from the scriptures that God told them over and over again not to intermarry with the Gentile nations around them. That was expressly for, forbidden. And so again, five times he uses this word treacherously. It means deceitful or to offend or fraudulent. It's to go back on the marriage vow. Uh, to defraud the commitment. You, you know, a covenant you make with your wife and really her dad. To take her into your protection. Well, think about this. In the Bible times, a woman without headship without a father or husband, was very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. You know, they still are more vulnerable than men. You know, if, if a man sees a wedding band on a woman, he's going to think twice before trying to make a move on her. Because she's somebody's wife. And if a man knows that a young lady has a dad who cares about her, he's going to think twice too. So, you know, that's, that's protective power. That's protective power. You think of it this way. Why did Abraham say to Pharaoh, she is my sister. Why did he? Why did Isaac say that to Abimelech? It's because he was considered her head, her protector, and before he knew, he knew that, rightly so, before he could have Sarah, or before Abimelech could have Rebekah, they've got to get, get, get rid of her protector, Abraham. It was her covering. Why did Ruth say to Boaz, Spread thy skirt over me, for thou art a near kinsman. It wasn't that she just wanted a husband, which I think she did. But she needed and desired protection. She had none. She was vulnerable. And, and that, that covering speaks of protection. And, and so she said, to, and again, there's nothing wrong. This was the custom in Israel, the way they did it, uh, you know, that she was seeking to be redeemed. You know, he was the near kism. And so, so she said, spread thy covering over me, thy skirt over me. It speaks of a covering. In other words, I want to come under your protection, your headship. 
You know, 1 Timothy 5, 8, even the New Testament even says, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own have, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. How often would you hear that in marriage counseling today? But, and so here you have these men dealing treacherously. God calls it treacherously, deceitfully. And, and they're, bringing, they're still bringing their sacrifices. Notice verse 13 says, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not their offering anymore, and receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between we and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion, the wife of the youth. So, so here they have these men, bring the, they're still bringing sacrifices, and that they're, they're weeping over the altar. They have this form of worship. You know, they wanted the blessing of God without obedience to the blesser. Truly, really what they wanted. They still want to have God's blessing and God's protection from their enemies, but they don't want to obey the God of the blessing. Kind of reminds me of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss. And that word amiss there has the idea of you're asking for your own selfish gain. You don't have God's glory in mind, you have your own selfish gain in mind. That's all you're concerned about is yourself. That's what these people were guys were concerned about themselves that ye may consume it upon your lust. So, you know, that, that's selfish gain. Ye adulterers. So he's calling this, you know, it's not talking about a, a marriage adultery here. He's talking about spiritual adultery. You know, we're to be espoused to one husband, even Christ, Corinthians tells us. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoso therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the pride, but he giveth grace unto the humble. And you know, I heard one commentator say that that word, that word picture there in verse 6, where it says God resisteth the pride, is that God dresses up in battle array and goes to war against you. He resists you. And he is resisting. He said in verse, if you notice in verse 13 again of Malachi chapter 2 verse 13, it says, And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, nor receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. God's not going to accept it. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. So, so it begins in the heart. It will corrupt your use and understanding of the word of God, which they did. Thirdly, it will bring contempt to one's testimony. 
Notice chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not cut my ways, but have been partial in my law. Now, the, he's speaking particularly to the priests here. The priests had corrupted the sacrifice. They were the, they were the cause of it. Yes, the people brought, but they accepted it. They were to reject any corrupt sacrifice. And because they were allowed to bring it, they did. But, though they did that to favor the people, it doesn't have a favorable effect on them. Again, chapter 2, verses 1 and 3 says, uh, or verses 2 and 3, says, If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces. That's a pretty graphic picture there. Even the dung of your solemn feast, and one shall take you away with it. I don't think I'd want that to happen to me. Um, it 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 will bring contempt to us. You know, people will not respect you if if you compromise the word of God. People will not respect you, nor your God. I remember sitting in a Sunday school class years ago. And this guy said this. Now think about what he said. Chewing's not wrong, it just ruins your testimony. And I'm thinking, what did I miss here? You know, if we, if we, if we, you know, again, begins in the heart, if we corrupt the word of God, our partial, only obey the parts we like and reject the rest. This is what they were doing. This is so typical in today's society, in today's Christianity. We just like the parts we like. People will not respect us. Let me ask you a couple questions. For example, has the multiplicity of Bible versions resulted in a greater knowledge and reverence for the Word of God? No, it hasn't. I remember a couple years ago, we had uh, visiting one night. Knocked on this door, and this old lady came to the door. And I, we began to talk to her, and she said she was very religious. I mean, she was very adamant about it. She was very religious. So I began to ask her some questions, and I think I got around to asking her if she believed she could know or didn't know that she was saved. And she said, how can you? All these Bibles don't say the same thing. Very good point, isn't it? No, they don't. They don't say the same thing. I said, well, I understand what you're saying, but we have one that hasn't changed. We're still using what was spoken by the Spirit of God, by God when he gave it. It's been translated into English. But we believe we have the very words of God. Had a Muslim guy 
around that same similar time frame, said to us, the reason I believe the Quran over the Bible is the Quran's older. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with that. This is older than your Quran. He said, really? I said, when was your Quran written? He gave me a date. I said, well, this goes back all the way to Moses, some of it. And the last was written by John the Apostle before 100 A.D. And he kind of stepped back and like, really? I said, yeah. Now, it wasn't written in English originally, but it was translated word for word from the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. It hasn't changed. No, the multiplicity of versions has not... Of Bible versions has not brought a greater knowledge. And again, that's an attack on the Word of God. They've corrupted it. Amos 8.11 says this, Behold, the days come, saith Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. We've got Bibles everywhere. At least they call them that. But a lot of them aren't Bibles. The commentaries, at best. Um, let me ask you another question. Is Christianity a whole, as a whole respected today? No, it's not. It's not. In fact, yeah. went to a bank, called a bank one time. I don't think it was here. By loan. The church. I don't think, again, I don't think it was here. And you know what the banker told me? Churches are really high risk. I was shocked. I was also naive. Uh, yeah, they are. Sad to say, they ought not to be, but they are. You know, the devil knows the Bible, the world has a conscience. And they can see through hypocrisy. They can see if something's real or not. They can see it. And Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, he said uh, that from you sounded out the word of the Lord, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I mean, people saw a clear change in the lives of those believers at Thessalonica. It was day and night. They could see it, that these people had the real thing. And because these priests have corrupted and accepted corruptible sacrifices, God says, the people are just hold you in contempt. Remember Hophni and Phinehas? Not Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, but Eli's two sons. And because of them, the Bible says, the people abhorred the sacrifices of the Lord. In other words, they, they held those guys in contempt. They had no respect for them whatsoever. 
And that's a problem in our society today. There's very little respect for Christianity. It's an article here in Propaganda News, March 8, 2016, talking about the hatred of Christianity. And, um, and part of it says, I quote, This is because the elite have been so successful in the efforts to discredit the Christian religion that many people actually believe the false ideas that Christians are oppressive and bigoted. Of course, there is a lot of hypocrisy in the religion itself. People who believe that because they are Christian, they can behave in any manner they choose because they have been saved. This is likely due to the humanist or communist influence in the church. One of the most sought-after goals of communism is to destroy Christianity and replace it with a new social religion. Um, unquote. So, so, yes, you know, if, if you... If you um, uh, you know, corrupt the word of God, it, it will bring contempt to one's own testimony. Thirdly, it brings a corroding influence to the society. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, And did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. This corruption brought a corroding influence, the greatest corroding influence in society. And that was intermarriage. You see, the purpose, God's purpose in marriage is to seek a godly seed. It's to raise a godly seed. It's God's training ground. The home is to be the picture of Christ and the church. But this polygamy and you know and putting away and all this brought contention it brought strife it brought um, uh, uh, strange gods into the mix verse 11 tells us that they'd have married the daughter of a strange god and you think about it in the Bible it brought contention you know, more than one wife brought contention to Jacob's house it brought corrosion to David's house. And contempt for David. You know, I don't believe Joab ever had the respect for David after his sin with Bathsheba that he had. And he did a lot of other people. In fact, Ahithophel was the, I think, the grandfather of Bathsheba. Ahithophel. David's trusted counselor and friend who betrayed him and sided with Absalom. In Nehemiah 13.26, Nehemiah says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, in him did outlandish women cause to sin. And it brought the division of the nation. It was the root sin that brought the flood of judgment in Noah's day. Go to Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 6. It came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. 
sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, some, some will take the interpretation that these giants were the fruit of, of angels, fallen angels, marrying daughters of men. I don't believe that's the case. I believe what it's saying is that, that uh, you know, there was giants, there was just giants in the day. Giants of stature, after all, they lived 900 years. They had lots of oxygen we don't have. The atmosphere was different than it is now. Um, you know, probably Noah was about nine feet tall. I mean, he built an ark. But anyway, uh, no, what, what happens is, notice verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. So it was the godly line intermarrying with the ungodly line. And that's why he says in verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. But notice, continue in the context and notice what God, what it leads to. In uh, verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and agreed to him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then in 1 Peter 3.20 it says this, Which sometime were disobedience, when once the long-suffering of God waited. Waited. The long-suffering of God waited. How long did it wait? 120 years. God gave those people 120 years to repent. How many did? Eight. Eight. But God gave them 120 years. See, it was the root cause. And, 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 this is, and these people are blind, and here in Malachi, they are blind in their conceit, in their arrogance. Notice verse 17. <clears throat> ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? The word wearied means to labor or to cause to faint. In other words, God is just about is getting tired or wearied of this duplicity, of this hypocrisy. It kind of reminds me when, remember in the book of Judges, they would turn away from the Lord, they'd follow false gods, and then they'd cry unto the Lord, and God would send a judge. The judge would deliver them, and he'd live 30 or 40 years, and he'd die, and they'd go right back to their own following some other false god, and, and they'd cry to the Lord, and God would send a judge and deliver them. After two or three times, God said, why don't you go call your own gods? 
let them deliver you. And the Bible says he was grieved. He was grieved. You think about it. Here they are in their arrogance saying, we're still bringing sacrifices. We're still bringing the sacrifices. We're even crying on the altar. But God says, but the sacrifices are corrupt. Would you offer them to a governor? And I'm the Lord. Would you offer them to a governor? And the obvious answer is, of course not. And yet they tried to offer them. So we're still bringing our sacrifices. Evidently, everything is okay. We're getting away with it. Nothing's happening. But again, you know, Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. I'll give him 120 years. That's a long time. But God will always judge according to truth. You know, Romans 2, verses 1 through 3 says, thou, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for that thou judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, or doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Verse 6 says, Who will ever render to every man according to his deeds. And verse 11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. God says, I don't have any, I don't have, I don't have pets. I don't have favorites. He that honoreth me, lie honor. He that dishonoreth shall be lightly esteemed. That's what he told Eli. Eli was a high priest. Moses told children of Manasseh, be sure your sin will find you out. You will reap what you sow. God is a gracious God. But don't be a fool and think you can presume on the mercy and grace of God. And continue in sin and escape his judgment. It won't happen. Because God is all-knowing. And God is all-powerful. And God is omniscient. He's everywhere. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Might God help us? You know, you know, we to not worship God in duplicity. You know, Jeremiah told children of Israel this in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen: Ye shall seek me and find me when you search with me, with all your heart. How is your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for this instruction it gives us and this warnings. Thank you for the encouragement we find in, there, in it as well. Father, I pray that you'd help us 
just to fear your name and to trust in you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. So just encourage us and strengthen us. Help us just to be faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name.